Hey everybody, it's Dave here, Darren over there. We're your two old bloggers, been writing on the Minnesota Vikings for over two decades apiece. It's a long time making our thoughts public, but it is what it is. And we're going into this week four, where the Vikings are visiting the New Orleans Saints in London. Tally ho! And we'll have three themes to start this show off with. First one, can we give thanks to Dan Campbell? We're going to be going over briefly the Detroit Lions game of week three and how it was a scrappy one. There's a lot of good things to be taken from it. There was a lot of things that you go, ugh. But thankfully, Dan Campbell makes a wrong decision, which helped the Vikings spur on to that last-minute touchdown drive, that beautiful pass from Kirk Cousins to K.J. Osborne was a thing of beauty. Secondly, we'll be talking about it's been three weeks of football, regular season football so far. Are you liking what you're seeing with Kevin O'Connell and how he calls games, how you like his offense, how the defense is working, etc.? It's a good question. Because there is some moments of pause where we go, hmm, wish that was better. We expected more, but we'll see. And then thirdly, we're looking at Vikings versus Saints. It should be a decent game, except for the Saints got a lot of injuries, including Jameson Winston, which just came out. He will be officially out, even though we're showing him as questionable. He has been announced out. So that means we get the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton. What has Andy Dalton done to the Vikings the last time he's played? Nothing but win. Is that a good thing for the Vikings? Or are the Vikings still looking to be out on top in this game across the pot? Find out shortly. Climb in the pocket, Baby Norseman and Lake Monster Brewing presents Two Old Bloggers. Yes, Two Old Bloggers are here today to talk to you about the Minnesota Vikings in Week 4. But first we start with Week 3. And uh, our first theme of the day, I want to say Skull to Mary and Skull to Purple Haze. Thank you for joining us. And... The 12 others that are watching presently at this time, I know there'll be more building up. We can't wait. Now, let's switch scenes real quick. We titled this one, What's Wrong with Justin Jefferson? And uh, we'll get into that. And there is a reason I know out on uh, Facebook, especially over at Daily Norseman, they said, nothing's wrong. Of course nothing's wrong. It's nothing but double teams. <laughs> Everybody needs to step up. Nothing's wrong. Justin Jefferson's perfect. Uh, We'll tell you why. We'll give an example. And we'll tell it not from our mouths, but from a Pro Bowl safety who happens to know the reason why. But we'll get there first. First is theme one. And why does that say theme three? Because I hit the wrong one. Here we go. Theme one. Now, we, know, we know it's theme one, David. Yes. And if I hit the right button, here we go. Vikings win. Vikings win over Detroit Lions 28 to 
24. I I almost got the score Thanks, the Aaron. score right, uh, Aaron. Yeah, I almost got the uh, the uh, the score completely uh, like dead on last week. I said I think I said twenty seven twenty four Vikings. They uh-huh. won twenty eight twenty four. So uh, not close. often that that gets close. Game close, but yeah, but a little maybe, but uh, but yeah, things were uh, like you say it was a scrappy game, uh, a very worrying game uh, for much of it. Um, the Vikings escaped with the win, uh, which would have been a very disheartening loss at home to the Lions. Uh, we trailed by 14 points and 10 points at different points in the game. Uh, we trailed for most of the game, approximately 34 minutes we were trailing. We only got, took the lead like with 45 seconds left in the game. Uh, and uh, But somehow, you know, we, we won. Uh, we're now 2-1, and one, which is a lot better than 1-2, and two, uh, when, you know, with a loss at home against the team that you've owned for two decades, basically. Um, and I think, you know, hats off to the Vikings uh, on, on gutting, it, gutting it out there. But I think Dan Campbell, the guy Pat pictured here, we can also thank him uh, for that victory uh, and for uh, deciding to go conservative in a, at a spot where, where he'd been very aggressive, you know, throughout the game. Um, you, you know, and that was on the fourth and four at Vikings 36 yard line with like a minute 14 left in the game. Uh, Cam, Dan Campbell had been very aggressive throughout the game. And, and, and I felt that that was like a, that was, a, you know, that was something that kept the Vikings defense quite, uh, like, I don't know if it caught them off guard, but it was, you know, it, it was something that put pressure on them because mm-hmm. you couldn't just say, okay, we stopped them on third down. They're going to punt or they're going to kick a field, try a long field goal. No, like it, it was like, okay, maybe they actually are, you know, maybe third down isn't it. Like they're going to use that fourth down and try to convert. And they went four for six uh, on, they were successful four for six on fourth down gambles in that game. And, and it wasn't just, and those fourth down uh, and those four, four conversions on fourth down were important to them because they got one of them set up and what should have been an easy 40 yard field goal for Austin Siebert. He doinks it off the, you know, the right upright. Mm -hmm. So that's three points that they should have got that they didn't get. Uh, Two of the other first uh, fourth down conversions resulted in their first two touchdowns in the game. And then on the fourth one led to a, a, a field goal by Siebert that gave them a 17-14 lead like midway through the third quarter. So their fourth down gambles resulted in 17 points that they wouldn't have got if they decided to like kick it away or try a field goal on fourth down. And so, but at 114 left in the game, the Vikings have no timeouts left. Uh, they're again at the Vikings... 36 yard line, Dan Campbell, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you know, loses his balls and he goes and he uh, elects to kick, have Austin Siebert, who is a bit shaky in the game. He elects to have him kick basically a long field goal in the same spot in the field at the same distance that Greg Joseph had missed twice already. Uh, and and shanked it w- w- wide right, it, and, and the announcers were talking about how the windows were open at that end of the field, and they were thinking that's that was causing the the, the field goals to go to the right. Uh, and uh, if you after the game, uh, there was uh, admit the I guess the, the you know the uh, 
the decision making odds like mm-hmm. what was your best uh the best decision uh it, i saw it on there where they dan cable made the wrong decision like electing to kick the field goal there was gave the the lion least probable chance to winning the game mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know if i you know I, I was very happy when campbell decides to to go for it on, or to kick the field goal on fourth and four because i felt that they had a very good shot at converting on fourth and four uh i felt you know mm-hmm. hey i'm on ross st brown even though he wasn't as effective after he hurt his ankle in that right. game but still uh, i felt if they run like get a create a little bit of like a rub route uh, have another wide receiver coming sort of to get in the way of the guy who was covering him which a lot of times was chandon sullivan uh that would have created enough separation that amon ross st brown would have got four yards easily there would have been first down game over Lions are two and one with their first road win since week 13 of 2020 when they beat the Bears. Instead, he again, he, he even if he, they didn't go for it there, Dave, uh, they you know unless they got sacked or an interception, right. even if they don't go for it there, th- like probably the least that the worst that's going to happen is they're going to turn the ball over on downs at the 36 yard line of the Vikings. Uh, and they've burned a few sec more seconds off the clock. Uh, and the Vikings have a little bit longer to drive with a little less time to drive. Uh, and, uh, but again, he, he kicked the field goal. Instead, he kicks the field goal. Seabird misses it wide right. The Vikings get the ball at the 44-yard line. Like Again, with over a minute to play, plenty of time to at least get a field goal to tie it or try to win it with, the, with a, a touchdown, which they ended up doing in just three plays, right? KJ, two catches, big catches by K.J. Osborne. That's the end of the game. Um, again, you, you know you've got to you got to give the Vikings some credit. You got to give Kirk Cousins some credit for making the throws when he had to late in the game. You got to give KJ Osborne the credit for getting open, particularly that second, that first catch he made. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of separation there when he caught it, and he got a lot of quite a bit of extra yards after the catch by fighting and uh and and just not willing to go down so credit to them credit to the vikings for being resilient and and fighting through a game where they really didn't look like the better team a lot of the time but i think dan campbell deserves a lot of the blame here too for making a decision that i think was uh dumb and uh, and really went against how he coached the game from you know the game how he coached and how he went for it on how he approached fourth downs, uh, you know, throughout the the rest of the game, it was it was an odd, puzzling decision by me. But I'm glad that he made it. Yeah, I don't too. know if you felt the same, David. But. I I thought the same thing. It was because I had fully expected him to go for it. It made sense to go for it. It was the right thing to do. At worst, you burn off some time, but you leave him further back. Yeah, you could have punted it and stuck him further back, but they were still motivated to drive. Um, but you go out there and kick a 50 or attempt, what was it, 53, and he misses, right? And and it's not from the line of scrimmage. It's from where the ball is placed for the kicker. Yeah. So you moved the Vikings closer. And yep. that was just a, a, a bad, bad decision. Uh, Kirk Cousins did his thing. He gritted his teeth like he's showing here. He made the throws. <laughs> He was the comeback king, the uh, fourth quarter savant. He had a, actually a very, very good fourth quarter. 
And uh, after some weird stuff early in the game where he sailed some footballs, which is unusual, and uh, it was just it, – it was fun. It was fun to watch. I mean, it had everybody nervous. We all thought we were going to lose because they looked like they were playing that way. Defense wasn't as playing as well as we wanted. They did tighten up in the fourth quarter. No points. They've done that every game this season. Uh, the offense looked sort of wonky and out of whack. Now, they did get Dalvin Cook going, which I thought was wonderful. Unfortunately, that ended up with Dalvin Cook messing up his shoulder again, running into Ezra Cleveland, no less. But it's uh, it was a good game. And then, you know, when Dalvin went out, Maddie came in. Alexander Madison had a great game for himself at that point, got his touchdown. And he, I think he's running better than we've seen him in his entire career at the Minnesota Vikings. It's got to be that, you know, hey, it's a contract year thing, but he is doing so much better. I do want to say hi to Jonas Stark. Jonas is in London right now. He is our CTP Germany representative. He's made the trip over to London. He is going to watch the game. He has been sending pics from the Vikings bar in London of some people with some poor choices, i.e. there's at least one Packers fan there and at least one Saints fan that he sent pictures of. But it's going to be a fun game, and we're glad you're over there, Joseph. Or Jonas, I hope to talk to you next week, and you can tell us about how the trip went. Now on to theme two. Here we go. Kevin O'Connell. It's been three games. What do you think of Kevin O'Connell so far? What do you like? What do you dislike on how things are going? Well, we'll see if people in the comments have their own thoughts on uh, on what they like and dislike. I hope that they do. Uh, I'm going to kind of get it. We're going to get into what we like or dislike. Uh, and uh, I think you touched on it a little bit uh, on the uh, offense last week looking a little clunky. And I think that overall in the first three games, the offense hasn't been as explosive as we were anticipating. And, and, uh, they, there's been, they've had in all three games, there's been multiple, uh, spots in those games where the Vikings have, have like, uh, had a lot of three and outs, empty offensive drives, not scoring points, not even converting on having trouble, even stringing together two first downs that they can get. And I think that they have looked, uh, like I said, I, I think they've looked clunky. They, they'd look like they're just like they don't quite have the offense down. I don't know. It, you know, some people might say, "Oh, Kevin O'Connell, uh, perhaps," and perhaps it's true that Kevin O'Connell is as an inexperienced play caller. He's not donning up the right plays all the time yet. And uh, and then you know the other thing that might be the theory is that that the Vikings' offensive players just aren't quite comfortable yet in the offense and when what they are expected to do and what they need to do on those plays. But, and I uh, think it's probably more that because I've seen where Kirk's come up and he's actually moved people because they lined up in the wrong spot. Right. And that has only happened, uh, you know, a few times, but it's still something to watch because it's like, Hey, wait a minute. 
You guys should have this. You should be getting comfortable. And they are going to get comfortable. It's only week three. And you've got to remember, virtually all the starters had no play time during preseason. And it's one of those things where it's going to take longer for teams to get where they are more proficient in their schemes, and they look better. And it's just the way the NFL is today. It's because we don't have six-week-long preseasons, you know, or six games in the preseason, or we don't have full contact in the preseasons. Uh, other than the games, we don't have it in practice. It's taking players longer to get into that rhythm. And, and there's a reason for it. It's to try to keep down injuries, but it's – we're going to see some clunky play. We've seen it across the league. Minnesota doesn't have the market on it. It's just, you know, that's, we hope that's we steam we're bringing the most clunky. attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, right now we're averaging 19.3 points per game, which is way down from the 25 we averaged last year when all of us were like calling for Clint Kubiak's job. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and and again, you know, it's it's it, that's an average, and it's only three games, right? So just because you're you're av- you've averaged 25 points a game doesn't mean that's the amount of points you're consistently getting. You could have a few games where you scored a bundle of points, and a few where you didn't score very much. So that's always it's always you got to always be careful about the averages of point per game and points given up. Do you know but, what it is but, for the league so far? I do not, David, but you're going to tell me, I bet. It is 21 points. Hmm. That's it. It is the lowest it's been in over a decade. The NFL and Roger Goodell is not going to like that. No, they're <laughs> going to be dialing up all sorts of defensive penalties to get the game the games going. You know that's going to be the thing. We're going to have emphasis on anything defense, penalty-wise. They're going to try to get it going because it literally is the lowest it's been in over a decade at 21 points on average for the entire league. And that is crazy low, and especially in an offensive league. Now, can you say, well, it's because the era, era of the great quarterbacks is almost gone, right? It's fading. You have Tom Brady, you have Aaron Rodgers. That's about it from that generation. They're dropping off in their quality. Drew Brees is retired. You know, Peyton Manning's gone. You know, all the old guys are gone. So now you got a bunch of new rookies. Some may be as good as they are, but some may not. And it's just like, and they're wondering, hey, is it because the quarterbacks aren't so good? And I don't think it's so much as the quarterbacks aren't so good. I think it's Partly what I said before, it's taking a while, a while for the teams to get smooth, whether they've been in their systems or not, right? It's just, it's the way the league works nowadays. But it is over a decade, the low point at 21 points across the league. So at 19.3, we're, we're contributing to that, but we're not that far off the average. Do I want to be above average? Think- oh, yes. And I think that um, and I think that the offense will get better. It has to uh, if this team is going to uh, go where we want it to go. But uh, but certainly it hasn't been like a smooth transition uh, early on with the, the new offense. That also is true with the Vikings defense, <laughs> which uh, has even though. You know, there again, averages point per games. Uh, got to worry about the. Uh, you got to be careful about that. But, but uh, y- 
that that often you know our defense is is only giving up an average of 18.3 uh, per game which uh that sounds pretty good that's ninth overall really in the nfl right now uh, but uh i'm still concerned about the the pass rush or the lack of it that i've seen particularly the last two games uh, the vikings have seven sacks as a team so far and that's like 20th in the league but more than the sacks, and we you bring this up all the time, Dave is, is the total pressures that they're getting. Mm-hmm. I'm just not seeing, you know, the, the the pressure, the consistent pressure that I would I would like to see. Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter have not been wreaking yet. Have not been wreaking the kind of havoc on the quarterback that uh, I was expecting. I think we all were expecting, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that. You know, particularly the last two games, Jalen Hurts and Jared Goff had lots of time to throw and and pick and pick apart our our defense, and they did in a, in a lot in a lot of cases. And the run defense has also been subpar. And I think, but I think that's tied to the 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 you know the the problems on pass defense and the lack of a pass rush. Because if you you can't get teams into third and long, uh-huh. then uh, quarterbacks are can't get them into third and long because you didn't do a good job stopping the run early on, then quarterbacks don't have to hold onto the ball very long uh, and uh, they can get the ball out quickly and still have a, uh, a good opportunity of getting that first down because they don't have a whole lot of yards to get. And um, Aaron brought it up there as well, like Ed Donatel in our photo here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got concerns. I've got concerns. Like it seems like every it's very they've got he's running very simple stuff. Uh, rush four guys, play zone yes. coverage most of the time. The offenses seem to have, have got it figured out right from the get go how to attack that defense. How to uh, attack you know, those I'm, zone and, coverages? Yes. Yeah, and they're they're it's it's not so like where's the confusion? Where's the variety? Where's the multiple looks? Where's the games on the pass rushes? I, I, like as a as a fan, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing our defense create confusion or panic on opposing offenses. They look very comfortable attacking this uh, this defense, and it's worrying. Like Dave, you were talking about how offline about how or we both were about how Zimmer, even though we were, you know, we were c- complaining about his defense l- last two years, but when it came to dialing up pressures and causing confusion, he's good. He was good at it and a lot more inventive than what we've seen from Ed Donatel so far. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Vikings were one of the top teams uh, in sacks last year. And wh- what good did that get them? <laughs> you know? So uh, they still had a terrible defense most of the time, but, but I think the defense right now, again, new system three, four, uh, much like the offense, probably we've got to give them a little bit, some time too, uh-huh. uh, to, and the players time to get used to that scheme. They might not be completely 100% sure where they need to be all the time or what techniques they need to be using, uh, but the defense has not been playing, I think, as well as we'd hoped. Well, and, um, and for so- example, Daniil Hunter's gone against two very, very, very good right tackles. So yes. um, he's had competition, but I brought up the PFF numbers. Uh, total pressure so far, 28 in Three games, so a little less than ten, right? A little over nine a game. The most is Darius Smith with ten. Uh, second is Dalvin Tomlinson with five. Then comes DJ Wanham and Daniel Hunter with four. Now, if you think of 
2019 when Z, uh, Zedarius and Hunter both had over 100, and that was a 16-game season, you're looking at they were getting at least seven pressures a game, and only Z is there after three games. There's a, There is a problem. There is not the production we anticipated. Hopefully it picks up, but it's not there yet. The so the yeah, it isn't there yet. Uh, and the so those are the things that are concerning. I, I think mm-hmm. we share that with a lot of Vikings fans. Well, but uh, that same defense that I was just complaining about, um, of course. We haven't given up any points in the fourth quarter yet, uh, which is which is awesome. Or in any of the final uh, two minutes. Yeah, uh, and that was a big, big problem under Mike Zimmer the last few years that we wanted to see cleaned up. And so far, Ed Donatel and his and his coaching staff and the players have cleaned that up so far in three games. But uh, I, I feel though, Dave, uh, it's just it's just a feeling of mine that that right now that's kind of a fluky coincidental thing that may not mean much over 17 games. And that's going to like that, that we're we're, going to regress, but I hope not, but that is one really good thing. And we'll, we'll be monitoring that throughout the year to see if the Vikings defense continues to be strong in uh, the fourth quarter and end of half situations like they weren't in 2021 and 2020. Um, I do want to see these guys pick up their Oh. Yes, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, well, I won't. People know, but uh, Zadarius Smith, uh, his availability tomorrow is uh, questionable. Is doubtful. Yeah, yeah, doubtful. Doubt. But doubtful. I got to look. Yeah, but we'll get yeah, to. But that. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, so Ed Donatel, some good things, some not so good things early on in his his career as a Viking defensive coordinator. Um, one of one of the other good things that that uh, I've noticed and uh, is that, and one of the questions I had coming into the season was, how would Kevin O'Connell uh, approach uh, end of half situations? Would the Vikings be better in those situations than they were again under Mike Zimmer the last two years, where the Vikings two-minute offense always seemed to be like. Uh, you know, it was a clown show out there. Uh, they weren't really sure. Like it didn't didn't seem there wasn't much urgency. A lot of times they didn't seem to know what they were doing. A lot of flat end of half drives mm-hmm. going into the into halftime and also uh, at the end of the game. Well, Kevin Seifert uh, pictured up there did a story on this this week in ESPN, and he ran the numbers. And the numbers should be very pleasing to Viking fans about uh, how Kevin O'Connell has approached. The end, uh, the last two minutes before halftime so far this game. And, uh, you know, you've got a quote up there. Uh, not sure where that's coming from, but. Yeah, but, uh, you, you know, here are some of the numbers that uh, Sievert uh, brought up. Uh, at the last two, end of halftime, last two minutes of the game so far through three games, the Vikings have scored two touchdowns. Uh-huh. That's tied for the most in the league. Uh, they've They've got the fourth most offensive plays in the two minutes before halftime and have accumulated the second most uh, yards, 110, in, you know, at the end of halftime. And they're also passing the ball 
like most of the time in those situations. I think 11 pass plays out of 16 plays. So uh, I like that approach with O'Connell. That's an aggressive approach. It shows that he gets the ball. He values the last two minutes as an opportunity to score points, not just to milk a lead or to play it safe, but uh, he is going for points and he feels that that's a very very important turning point in the game is to get points at the end of half particularly if you're going to also get the ball to start the second half Uh, that's where this quote comes from kevin o'connell talked about the middle eight that's why i have it highlighted down there the middle eight he learned from bill belichick when he was you know the backup to tom brady the middle eight being so important the whole idea is that on on opening coin flip, if you win it, always defer. Always, always, always. So don't expect anything more or anything else other than we'll always defer if the, if the Vikings win the toss. The whole idea is to get the ball in that final four minutes of the first half, drive down the field, keeping the opponent's offense off the field, score, go into halftime, and then come out and get the ball in the second half, drive down the field, score, right? It's back-to-back scores. Uh, we used to call it double dipping. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's great psychologically. But there's also another thing uh, Phil Mackey was talking about. What's so nice about this is, Four minutes of game time at the end of the quarter can last 10 minutes, right, on the clock, on a real clock. Then you have 12 minutes for the halftime, and then you have four minutes on the other side, and you can come up to easily 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how things go, where if you're on the field at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, the opposing offense is off the field that long, right? And they get out of sync. They get all, hey, I haven't touched the football in an hour or a half an hour, Just right? And sitting they on get, their butts for that whole time. Right, and they get all out of whack, and that's an advantage. And that's Bill Belichick was the one that recognized that years ago. Um, that's why he's one of the greatest coaches ever, Um but they call it the middle eight, four minutes on one end, four minutes on the other, and then the um, halftime in the middle, and that they want that because it is a strategic advantage. And Kevin O'Connell is the one that specifically talked about it this week, that that is something that they are targeting. I like that thinking. That is very strategic. I like that about Kevin O'Connell. That will do us good in the long run. It is it is good to see. That's why that was up there. And it came out of and, yeah. Seifert touched on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those were, yeah, the middle eight, Kevin O'Connell mentioning that. Um, I read that article too, and he was talking about how the, that's in quote too, about uh, things can happen catastrophically and you don't have a whole lot to do with it except for the, the one decision you made, right. which was, yes, I'm going to uh, take the, the kickoff. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we'll receive to start the game. No, no, no. Bill Belichick is like, no, we won't receive. We'll <laughs> let them uh, receive. And Kevin O'Connell is doing the same thing. So 
you know, usually a pretty uh, good idea. A lot of cases to listen to to follow what Bill Belichick does. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of football matters. Um, so that, you know that's a good thing. Uh, the how the Vikings offense is functioning at the you know the last two minutes or so before halftime. Encouraging again, another thing. Three games in, we'll see if that holds up throughout the season. But right now they're doing very well on it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, as far as what's encouraging, has to do with surprise, surprise, the Vikings offensive line. Uh, not only does it look like we might actually have a, a line that's better, yeah, those guys better than a competent unit. We might actually get one that's a pretty good unit the way things are going on. And uh, through three games, at least through my eye test, David, Kirk Cousins has had plenty of time to throw the ball. Uh, the, the results haven't always been what we would like, particularly in the Philly game, but he's had time to throw the ball. He's had a pretty clean pocket, hasn't been under much duress, and he's he's only been sacked four times. And uh, a couple of those sacks were like he held on to the ball for like 15 seconds. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of like eventually the pass rush got to him. It was more of a coverage sack than anything that the offensive line did, I felt. But right. um uh, but, uh, you, you know, you know, if you don't believe the eye test, then, um, very good point about fewer penalties, fewer penalties, Merlin, Merlin is, uh, I heard some noise. Yes. Dogs are like that. Mine, mine's just as bad, but, um, ESPN published some of its, uh, pass and run blocking, uh, analytic stacks stats this week and, and several you know quite a few three vikings offensive linemen found themselves uh, on the top 10 in a good way in those uh brian o'neill old number you know number 75 he right was tackle. rated as the number Left one on number one the number one tackle right now in uh pass block win uh rate number one Number one, uh, a Viking, a Viking offensive lineman. Number one in something <laughs> that isn't bad. That's awesome. Uh, but he was also, uh, it, and then in the uh, in their run block uh, win rate, Christian Darisaw was fourth, and O'Neill was seventh. O'Neill was seventh. So we have two of both of our tackles top 10 in in run block win rate and then even the much maligned Garrett Bradbury our center uh was ranked ninth in run block win rate so far according to ESPN so that's three count them three Viking offensive linemen uh in the top 10 in either a pass block win rate or a run block win rate um stats according to ESPN and even Ezra Cleveland, he didn't make the top 10 in, in the guards for either pass block or run block win rate. But I feel, anyway, again, I test. I think he's been really solid through three games so far. David, I don't know how you feel about that. But, no, uh, but, I fully uh, agree. I know you like Ezra. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. His overall offensive grade so far, uh, average for the three games is 68.7. His run blocking is at 71.8. That is outstanding. His... Pass blocking could use a little help, but I'm half convinced that part of that is because both he and Ed Ingram are helping Bradbury, um, and they may sacrifice a little bit there. They're playing a lot of wall where at least the three of them, if not a whole side, will block off a side. And and if somebody gets through, it's usually around the guys on the end, which happens to be the guards because they are helping Bradbury in the middle to make sure nobody gets through that way. I do like the way they're playing. He's playing solid. He's shown some times 
where he's just burying people. I love that attitude. He gets better and better. It's only his second season over here on left guard. And uh, and his third season playing. And, of course, he was a tackle. I, I can't be more happy with Ezra. The only person I'm just about as happy with is your next guy you want to talk about. This guy. Yeah, I would I would yeah, I would think Ed Ingram would be like the the weak link of the offensive line so far, but you know, if you look at at PFF grades, but uh there's been all kinds of snaps that you can highlight in the three games where Ingram is just burying guys, mauling a defensive lineman uh, on run, uh, particularly I think on the run blocking stuff uh, where he's looked really, really good. Uh, yeah. There's been some missteps. He's given up some pressures, um, you know, kind of the thing where he's getting uh, some of his rookie inexperience is being taken advantage of by experienced vets. Who've got, you know, several pass rushing moves that they can throw at him. But I got, I, I feel like, the good that I'm seeing shows me that once he smooths out the rough edges, gets more experience, Ed Ingram is going to be a very good player for us. And uh, I, you know, I, I think that it, it, and it may come even as early as middle of the season, later this season, uh, after he's got enough reps under his, under his belt. But uh, overall, I think this Vikings offensive line, yes, David, you're going to. I was going to hype in on Ed Ingram. Yes, please do. Great. Ed Ingram is better than all of Ole Udo last year, score-wise. After three games, mm-hmm. his scores, yeah. his grades are higher than Ole Udo's last year. They're higher, by far, than Drew Samia the year before. Mm-hmm. We're talking all the snaps these guys take. They're higher than Dakota Dozier in 2019. They're higher. No, they're lower. Pardon me. The only one they're lower than was Mike Remmers back in 18. But they are getting there. They're close to what Mike Remmers gave us then. So if only after three games you're beating the guys that are up, were there, you know, starting over the last few years, and you're close to the one that started four years ago that was a, a, a veteran that was brought to the team, obviously as a tackle, but moved to guard, then uh, you're doing damn good. And he's going to do nothing but improve. He, I haven't seen, seen him make the same mistake twice. He is improving. And he is helping Bradbury. They've already said it. I've heard it numerous times that he and Ezra are helping Bradbury, and that may sacrifice some of their own play. But overall, it's we're better. The old line is much, much better. So uh, it is what it is. And yeah, I feel some, that uh, some good communications going on in the comments, including folks from New Orleans. Glad you could join us. Uh, should be fun. And uh, Dwatson, I'm curious. You posted that uh, Su- or Tua's done with his career. Is that did that break out while we we're on the air? I haven't seen that. So um, I have not either. If it is, 
the uh, I think that uh, all of this offensive line stuff, David, I, I feel that uh, with now the Vikings have invested quite heavily in the offensive line the past three, four years. All all of these guys on the offensive line now are first or second round draft picks. Uh, so uh, we would expect them to gel eventually and become a very good offensive line. But I feel that the way things are trending with this unit right now, that this could be the best offensive line the Vikings have had since the guys that you're picturing down there the 2009 Vikings offensive line uh, with Lodholt, Anthony Herrera, John Sullivan at center, Steve Hutchison at right guard, and Bryant Mountain McKinney uh-huh. at left guard. Like uh, their their 2009 grades, you showed them to me uh, yesterday, and it was really, 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 really like, some they're, impressive uh, PFA PFF grades. Yeah, mm-hmm. nothing that we've seen in recent memory. <laughs> for the, Steve for the Hutchinson led line. in pass blocking with 82.2. Second was Bryant McKinney at 79.5. Third was Jimmy Kleinsaucer, who's right there on the edge in this graphic, um, at 78.3. Then it comes to John Sullivan, your center, at 77.4. And as I pointed out to Tyler Fornis today, Look at the tree trunks that support John Sullivan. John Sullivan wasn't the biggest center in the world, but look where he is distributed. Those things are ginormous. And it went all the way down. Pass blocking for Phil Lodeholt, the right tackle, was the lowest of the bunch. And it was a 71.5 grade. I'm sorry, when you've got five guys in the offensive line, throw in Jimmy Kleinsaucer as the eighth, and they're running between 71.5 and 82.2. Holy shit, that is good. <laughs> that is, you can't find a line across the board, I bet, in the league that ranks that high. Run blocking is also very good, and overall offense is also very good. It's just Oh, those guys were beasts. And if our guys get close to that, we're going to be in heaven, folks. That would be wonderful. But it's 2009. That's how long. Hey, Quang, where you been, buddy? Hope you're doing well. Long time no see indeed. Must have been over a year. Mm -hmm. Now, this one was uh, I put up there for uh, you said it. It also makes me feel good about the chances of the offense offense reaching the potential under Kevin O'Connor. Well, sure, because if we've got an offensive line that uh, pass blocks well, run run, run blocks well, uh, then that's got to help settle Kirk Cousins down, even in games where, uh, you know, he's on the road in a pressure pack game. Uh, if he's got an, if he's got an offensive line, they can open up running holes for cook and Madison and whoever's in there, keep us out of third and long and keep cousins, uh, in a security blanket, you know, know, (laughs) a bubble wrap around him when he's going to pass. I I just, I think that as the, as the year goes on, that is going to lead to more success. Better and better and better. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially as guys, the skill position in particular, again, they know where they're going, what they're doing in the offense. Matthew, school yes. from Montreal. Indeed. What, a great, what a great avatar. Yes, yeah. Queen Lizzie hey, in the Randy Moss jersey. Uh-huh. But 
but yeah, but yeah, I did. If the offensive line is is clicking, that's quite ten yeah, months. It's been a long, too long time. We missed you. Too long. Welcome back. So, offensive line. If we get a competent to good to very good offensive line, there's no way that this offense can't be the explosive. Can't hum. Uh, yeah. Can't hum. Can't be the explosive offense we were expecting at the beginning of the year that we haven't quite seen yet, but we're hoping to to see it starting this uh, this Sunday. This Sunday. And uh, we didn't see, we saw a little bit more. What I do like about the Detroit game, to double back on that, is that once Justin Jefferson was basically relatively ineffective because the way Detroit played him and the way he played, they started throwing to uh, Adam Thielen. Thielen. And the running game got picked up, and it, that's we need to see more of that. We need that nice, well-rounded. They talk about a, a person being nice and well-rounded. They did in the Air Force. You've got to be a well-rounded airman to be promoted. Um, and it's like, I thought I had to be good at fixing airplanes. Anyways. it's uh, But an offense that's well-rounded is, is very good as well, and they're getting there. So I'm happy with that. That brings us to our favorite, my favorite part of the show, where we talk about beer. Lake Monster Brewing is our partner, has been for a while now. They make fantastic beer. They're based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, just across the river from uh, Minneapolis. They Last week, they featured the Lunatic Fresh Hop Ale, which is great. This week, they are featuring the Pomegranate Hibiscus Sour. And with that, you have, a, as they wrote, a flavor combination that makes sense. Crisp wheat ale infused with hibiscus flour and pomegranate. This sounds very hippie-ish to me. Maybe Aaron Rodgers would like it. But it actually sounds good. If you like sour ales, and I need to try more of them, this sounds good. There, uh, It says on tap and in can for limited time only. And they're, they're, they're prepping for something that's coming up. What's on tap is the same as last week. We have uh, the uh, pomegranate, the lunatic, the golden lotus, which I would really like to try, and the oatmeal stout, along with your normal favorites. And, of course, it's Oktoberfest time. Have some good Oktoberfest. And then... There's the Monster Bash on the 29th. Live music from 1 o'clock into the evenings. Partner with 83.9 The Current. They are going to have a party there celebrating the Halloween festivities called the Monster Bash. There's all sorts of uh, cool beers coming up. There's the Cask Cave where eight one-of-a-kind specialty beers will be brewed and pulled out and your hot apple cider that Tyler loves so absolutely much and much, much more. That is our partners, Lake Monster. If you love a great beer, you're in the area, stop by the brew house. If you're in the viewing area, you should be able to find stuff in cans at your local places that you buy beer. So I would suggest doing it. It's uh, it's a great thing. <laughs> Now on to theme three. This is where we're getting into 
the game. The Vikings at the Saints in London. And this is where we're going to hit up on the big question of the day. What's wrong with Justin Jefferson? We'll find out. First, we're going over the normal status slides, injury reports. For the Vikings, you have Andrew Booth. He's getting closer. He's not out. He's just doubtful, which means he'll be out. Zedarius Smith is questionable. Zedarius Smith took a hit to his knee or bent his knee weird in the last five minutes of the game last week, and they had a compressor bandage on it. Uh, He's been limited all week, but he is questionable. Since he's been limited, I expect him to play. I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to want to play, but we'll see how that goes. For the Saints, as of right now, Marcus May is out. The strong safety guard, Andrus Pete, is out. And there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter that uh, Wyatt Davis will be starting. No, Wyatt Davis is not going to be starting. Um, I was talking to Matthew Culler about that. I said that is that brings you know, fears to the Vikings that he's going to come out there, start, and be the best guard that's ever played football, laced up his cleats, and a sure-fire Hall of Famer. No, that's not going to happen. Chill out. He's not going to start. Don't worry about it. Uh, Wide receiver Michael Thomas is out, so that limits who Andy Dalton can throw to. Uh, Jameis Winston, just before the show was announced, he is officially out. He was doubtful. He's officially out for the game. And our defensive backs are uh, sign are probably a little disappointed. They were hoping to pad their interception statistics because <laughs> Winston, last time he was in London, threw six of them. Alvin Kamara is questionable. I suspect he'll play. And wide receiver Jarvis Landry is also questionable. He is a big part of their game as well. I I expect all the questionables on this list to play, but who knows? We get into our offense versus defense. We now have three weeks of data, so the data is getting better. It's still small sample size, but it's getting better. The Vikings have gone up on their offensive numbers, just barely. Um, pardon me, Olavi out to run P2 easy. Yeah, uh, I worry about that too. I've got him coming up. Don't worry. Um, offense for PFF is ranked 10th power ranking versus the Detroit defense is supposedly 10th for PFF. Football outsiders basically agrees. They have us at 11th and the defense for the Saints at the 10th. So that's going to be, it's going to be a decent matchup there. Uh, we're 15th in pass and three and run. That's thanks to Dalvin Cook having a good day and then Maddie coming in afterwards and we're leaving him. Elias, stop that. I hate when I do that. Has us at 18th in yards uh, versus 13th against for the Saints. 15th in passing, 19th rushing. 16th in points, we went up a little bit. We've only given up four sacks all season, which is low. Kirk Cousins should be happy about that. Uh, and uh, turnovers, we've had four. The 
However, the defense, where I put the differentials for the Saints, has a minus six. So the Saints have given six more than they've taken. They do have three takeaways. You get down there in the bottom, the line yesterday, the day before when I made this slide, was 2.5. It's 2.5 to 3, somewhere in there. Uh, over and under is 43.5, which is a relatively low-scoring game. We'll see about that. Um, Rock and Rolf, I'm not surprised Z is being doubtful. Uh, I'm showing him as questionable, not doubtful. Um, we get in, but he didn't practice much all, all week. I know. We get into, uh, and that could be swelling. I You have no idea with a knee. But it's obviously not major knee because they only put a compression on it, compression wrap. That's that's not major. It's just maybe swelling of some sort, water, who knows. When we flip on to the other side, Vikings defense is 20th, but moving up. Um, Saints is 23rd. So their offense is 23rd. You've got a bunch of guys out on offense, so we'll see. Um, Football Outsiders has them roughly about the same. Overall, Vikings defense at 25th moving up, and Saints offense at 26th. So, you know, we're talking bottom quarter. Uh, When it comes to Elias, yards, total yards, our defense is given up. They have us at rank 30th, which is we're giving up too much yards. However, when it comes down to points, we'll pass passing and rushing. comes down to points, they have us as 10th. Whereas the offense totals over on the Saints are, they have 8th overall, or 8th for yards, 8th for passing, 16th for rushing, and 23rd on points. They're not producing. They may be marching down the field, but they're not producing. That has a lot to do with Sir Sir Jameis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, giving away the ball. Uh, sacks, the Vikings have had seven so far. The Saints offense has given up 11. So it may be a good day for that defensive line of ours to uh, rack up some sacks. However, I think Andy Dalton will be getting rid of the ball quickly. We have a zero differential on the plus and minus turnovers. Um, the... Saints offense has given up nine turnovers on their end, and when it comes to takeaways, we've had four. That is your basics offense defense. We get into special teams. Special teams, we dropped a little bit because Joseph missed two field goals last week. We're now ranked 20 overall, but uh, DVOA has the football siders has the Saints special teams is dead last. Shark or Shaq Johnson? No, you haven't. We're getting there. I've been teasing it <laughs> all week. It happens to be part of the next subject. Justin Jefferson. This leads to the question: What's wrong with Justin Jefferson? Well, I, we wanted to talk about Justin Jefferson because I think, uh, as always, uh, for the the preview section, because I think that uh, if as Jefferson, Justin Jefferson goes, this Vikings offense probably uh, goes as well. And 
first first week against that team from Wisconsin, you know, had a monster game. So we're all thinking, <laughs> yes, uh, all this talk from training camp about him being uncoverable, uh, all the talk about him wanting to be the number one receiver, considered the best receiver in the NFL, it's all coming to fruition. <laughs> and then, but then the last two weeks, not so much. Uh, uh, he and last week against the. the against the Detroit Lions with Jeff Okuda being the, the main guy covering him. He had three catches for 14 yards. The 14 yards is the least he's had in his three years in the league. And that's going to lead to questions, David. Uh, like you said, what's wrong with Justin Jefferson? Like, and this he, picture here was uh, taken from the last game. This was his drop. Yeah. And he's had drops. Well, yeah. What's drops what's the last two games as well. He said, he said, yeah, he had drops. I uh, didn't like his body language at times. He looked like he was frustrated and maybe not giving a full 100% effort on some of those uh, passes where he was tightly covered. And uh, that's not the Justin Jefferson I'm used to seeing. But, um, but yeah, you know, is there something wrong with Justin Jefferson? Is he uh, Has the league figured him out? Is Kevin O'Connell running the right kind of plays to get him uh, loose? And, and 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 scheme him open like the Rams did with Sean McVay with with Cooper Cup. Uh, those are the questions people are asking now. Uh, I think they're legitimate questions, but I'm not personally, and I think most Viking fans aren't. I'm not worried about Justin Jefferson really. Uh, every player has some down games. Tom Brady has them. Uh, Devontae Adams has them. Aaron Rodgers had one three weeks. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers had one three weeks ago. Uh, it happens, right? I like, what he has. Uh, but. Yes, so do I, and I and I'm gonna. Uh, I like it when Tom Brady and Devontae Adams have them too, especially when Adams was with that team from Green Wisconsin. Bay. But, uh-huh. but, but you know, uh, still, uh, what's up? Two games, not Justin Jefferson numbers at all. Well, he, and I'll, uh, I'll tell you the numbers. First game, he had uh, ten targets, nine receptions, 184 yards, two touchdowns. Right, fantastic game, especially. Yeah. Against that team from Wisconsin. Second game against the Eagles, he was matched up well. He's matched up against Darius Slay. We'll talk about him here momentarily. Darius Slay's a Pro Bowl safety, knows what he's doing, right? But he had 12 targets, he had six receptions for 48 yards, and uh, he had some, his QB rate was a lot, lot lower. Um, the first one, it was 153.3. Against the Eagles, it was dropped to 20.8 because of the interceptions. Then we get into Detroit. Detroit, he was only targeted five times. Five. Caught three of them. Dropped one, right? And he only had the 14 yards, which is terrible. And but he at least had a rating of sixty four point six. He was better, and it was working better. And we ask, well, why has this gone down? The normal reasons are Dave. He's double covered all the time. Dave, he's triple covered. Dave, they weren't throwing Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne. All those are correct, but they aren't the exact reason why Justin Jefferson has had that bad game and it started in Philly and it's, I think it's messed with his head. 
And do you know why that is? We found out this I week. do, David. Well, it certainly part of the reason, David, you, you shared with me uh, that um, Patrick Peterson on his uh, All Things Covered podcast had uh, certain Mr. Slay on this week. And he asked, Patrick Peterson, of course, asked Darius Slay, so, you know, how are you able to have such a great game against one of the best wide receivers in the NFL? And, let's and remember, uh, I've got yep, the clip. Let's listen. What allowed you a few weeks ago to have such an elite performance against one of the best wide receivers in the game in Justin Jefferson, Monday Night Football Week 2? Man, uh, young guy, man. You know, when you're a young and talented guy, you believe everything works. You know, it was not a talent issue with him, with him being me, me, me being him a better talent. It's just that I, I played this game so long. I know what you go do. I know your tendencies. I know you what you like the most. So uh, he had a lot of tells for me to, like, to steal from on film that I guess, you know, Young guys don't see, but I see because I like to watch film a lot. So mm-hmm. every tale I did was like truthful. So after the first PBU I made on him, it made me really confirm that that's what he does. So then when mm. I when I confirm something up that, that early, it gonna be a long night for anybody. No matter what kind of talent you is, how much better you feel like you're much better than you is than me. That means I really got your tell on what you do. So I really just like believe what I watched on film and watch how his releases or when I was off man, how he was trying to attack me off man. I believed everything. So that's why I made the plays I did. I want to thank Darius Slay and his interview on Patrick Peterson and BMAC on All Things Covered for providing that clip. I think that nails it. It's He had a lot of tells to steal from. What is a tell, Darren? Well, a tell is, is a, like a tendency, uh, something that tips off. Uh, to your opponent, what you're going to do in certain situations and um, or in all situations, really. It's something that smart players look at through film study, breaking down video. You hear it all the time in baseball. Uh, the, it's been talked about for years how a pitcher is tipping off the pitches So uh, in baseball. So hitters are watching. After watching a pitcher pitch over a whole season or multiple seasons, they get a rundown. Like they can tell like a, a, a pitcher will hold the ball uh, or you know, you'll see him sometimes they'll be holding the ball or moving their glove around a certain way. If they throw a curve or a split fingered fastball or the arm angle is different on a fastball compared to a curve, or maybe they move their body. Maybe they grow to their cap, do some funny things that they're not even aware of, but all of these things get are uh, data that opposing players look at they notice from after time and that tips off what a pitcher is going to throw and then if the hitter knows what's coming they got a better chance of hitting the ball hard same with same in any sport and so same if right. you're covering a wide receiver in this case Darius Slay must be seeing oh in a certain situation uh Justin Jefferson is dipping his shoulder a little bit when he's going to do this route or he's moving his head a certain way when he's going to go do an in route or it's all or all things that just go yeah certain ways or he drops a hand yeah. or yep there's all sorts of things there's you know people think it tells in poker you know, when the guy picks up his hands and suddenly his eye starts twitching, right? Yeah. That's an obvious tell, but there's less obvious tells. I've always taught when coaching football, um, mainly because I deal with the linemen, you know, look how their hand is on the turf. Is there weight on the hand? Are their fingers, you know, pressed into it? Is it light, right? There's also look at their butt. Is their butt up, right? If their butt's up, 
versus their head, they're they're in a run blocking tendency. Um, if their butt is sat back down, they're most likely pass blocking. It's stuff you can watch. The foot, watch how on some linemen or players, period, they'll take if they're right-handed, their right foot, and they'll sort of dig in with their cleat. You know, they'll swivel around the ball of their foot with their cleats, right? Pitchers, you talked about baseball, do that as well, right? It's to get that extra grip. They may not know they're doing it. It is, they may not be conscious of it. And that's the problem. Darius Slay studied the film and saw something that tipped him off, saw Justin Jefferson's tells that this is telling me if, say, Slay was in a backpedal and Justin Jefferson did something, Slay knew he was breaking, you know, to his left or to his right or he's going behind. So he knew what to do. He could sit there. If he knew that, he could start to swivel his hips already, and Justin had basically already committed already and couldn't, you know, come behind. So those tells, this is where Justin needs to get better. And we talked about it. And so I'm going to this. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this week and, and the past week that uh, – uh, particularly, I'm sure after the podcast, uh, Patrick Peterson goes to Justin Jefferson and said, "Hey, man, I don't know if you heard my podcast this week, but this is what Darius Slay said about you, and uh, so it's time for you to do some self scouting right now mm-hmm. with Keenan McCardell, your wide receiver coach. See if you can pick up things that you're doing, little subtle things that you're not aware of that are tipping off the roots that you're running because this, uh, you know, Slay knew what you're going to do before you did, right, and." And perhaps Jeff Okuda and the Detroit Lions also picked up on it because, uh, they, you know, they did an even better job on Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson. So if if Justin Jefferson, it's not just about, although I think Kevin O'Connell could be doing a better job, like bunching up wide receivers and creating some, like getting some bodies in front of Jefferson mm-hmm. to create some separation with the guy he's covering. So Jefferson can at least get some touches with a little bit of running room and do some yards after the catch to get him going. But, but. It's not just uh, it's it's just as much on Justin Jefferson. It sounds like as getting out of this funk as it is on the Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings offensive coaching staff. And it all has to do with the tells. Justin Jefferson has got to figure out how to eliminate these tells, subtle things that he's doing that's tipping off what he's doing. And that way, if if he if he can do that, well, he, then the Vikings offense I think is going to be much more effective because the, the, this Vikings offense is not going to get to the explosive, high-scoring, high-octane offense we want to see, we expect to see, unless Justin Jefferson is rocking and rolling. Yep, and, and I agree. I want to hit RB29, Oilers. Uh, you're correct. If if Dalton's throwing quick passes, that's going to be a problem. Uh, hopefully it's not, but we'll see how it goes. I think our defense will do well. You know, you know, and Justin Jefferson, if he's getting, sorry, I'm chewing ice here, <laughs> but, but it, it, Justin Jefferson, if he's getting seven or eight catches for over a hundred yards, that is, I think is going to go, that's going to, duh, that's going to be very helpful to the Vikings beating the Saints tomorrow morning in London, uh, because the offense just, just isn't the same if Justin Jefferson is eliminated from the mix. It's just, it just is. Right. 
And uh, like we said, we tease this. I've teased this all day. Justin Jefferson is very good, right? The double and triple teamings do contribute. The not using the rest of you know the team's weapons until they started two last week is also a contributor. But if Justin Jefferson and all great football players, whether at wide receiver, lineman, whoever position, they they try to learn other players' tells so it helps them, and they try to eliminate their own. So I think this week, especially when it got blasted, I guarantee you NFL cornerbacks listen to that podcast because it's about defensive backs. Um that they're going to have to be working on that consciously, and I think, uh, I think he'll, I think he'll get it. He's just too good not to. He'll uh, put it. But it's, it doesn't get any easier because I'm assuming this week, because I'm pretty sure that Marshawn Latimer is going to be a shadowing oh, Justin oh, Jefferson yes. most of the most, if not all of the time. So, okay. uh, and Latimer is a very, very, very good corner. Uh, mm-hmm. Gives wide receivers all kinds of problems. So. Another big test for Jefferson and the Vikings offense today. Uh, RB29, so we'll talk about get, that shortly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Justin Jefferson, got to get him right. Uh, got to get him going tomorrow uh, if the Vikings want to. I think that's one of the keys to beating the Saints and beating a very, you know, and being productive against a very good defense. Uh, Dalvin, RB, uh, RB uh, Oilers, yes, Dalvin Cook. He is, we, we know that he's been cleared to play. That is very good news because he was very effective last week. Um, the offensive line had a lot to do with that, but it was a nice bounce back game for him after playing, having one of the worst games I've ever seen him have uh, as a Viking against the Eagles where he got nothing going uh, with the running game. So, but, um, the issue, of course, is that he hurt his left shoulder against the, the Lions. He's had shoulder problems in previous years. Uh, apparently, he's got a labrum issue that he yep. didn't, uh, didn't get operated on. And so that, it's, that seems like it's kind of a, like a nagging, chronic thing for him. It's quite possible for a guy who touches the ball 20-plus times a game usually that he could land on that shoulder. Uh, like I don't, I, He's definitely not 100%. Uh, that's for sure, uh, but he has the high tolerance for pain. We know that because he's played with harnesses before and played the whole game. But if he lands on that shoulder wrong on a tackle, one of them during one of his touches, he could be gone. In which case, Alexander Madison comes in. We'll see if Kevin O'Connell like mixes up uh, is more distributes the the run carries a little bit more evenly between Madison and Cook because Cook's not 100% this week, or uh, that, that would seem to be one way to ensure that Cook plays the whole game this game and also is ready to play in the following weeks and doesn't re-aggravate the injury or make it even more serious. I like uh, my idea. You, you got to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever they got to do, though, I think, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, it, it's good that he's playing, but we do need him to be playing the vast majority of the game and being effective doing so because just like just like with Justin Jefferson, this Vikings offense is not the same when you got Alexander Madison in there as when you've got Dalvin Cook because that takes away, without Cook, it takes away the big home run hitting ability right. that Cook has. Yeah, that we have not to seen agree with you. Alexander is a stud. Yeah. And he could very well take over this game. But uh, Dalvin Cook's always had that home run capability where Alexander Madison 
generally has not, he'll get you good runs. Uh, but it's never that, you know, hand off at the five and suddenly he breaks it and he's gone with Madison. Madison's longest runs are maybe 25, 30 yards. Now, but I you rack up Maddie, tons of those and they're good. I think uh, Maddie being called a stud is a bit bullish. Uh, I think he's a good back, solid back, uh, but not I a stud. He, and he's having his best season yet. And the way he got into the end zone last week, I just love it. The power, the the will, because it was pure will. I'm going. That was get a hell that. of a run. That was a hell of a run for sure. And I have confidence with him if he has to be the main guy. But you just got to understand that the explosive runs probably aren't going to be there. It's right. going to be like. Three yards here, four yards here, five yards here, occasionally a 10-yarder, but it's going to be a lot of meat and potatoes, and mm -hmm. you're not going to get the 80-yard run that you you're, you could get with, with the cooker in there. Yep. Uh, but Kevin Cook in there, that's a plus. And with the way he ran last week, let's just hope he can remain healthy in this game against the uh, Saints defense that's good and is aggressive and hits hard. Mm -hmm. um, you too, we talked about in the injuries, they are banged up. Uh, Michael Thomas not playing is a, is a big loss for them, but uh, Chris Olave has been very good as a rookie. Jarvis Landry is a, he's a good wide receiver, but he's a position guy. He's not, he's not a deep threat, but he's a guy that got to be accounted for. But the big thing here is Jameis Winston is not playing. Uh, normally when your starting quarterback is out, that is like, uh, very, very good news <laughs> for, for, for the opposing team. But in this case, is it? Because Jameis Winston, uh, the, the, the Saints have really struggled to score points this year. You saw they're getting yards, but they haven't been able to score a whole lot. Right. Uh, they, uh, he's gotten five interceptions so far when he's played. He's been sacked 11 times. That's a lot. Uh, he's, uh, his, Q, his quarterback rating and his QBR rating are all like 26th in the league. So that's not good. And Jameis Winston, David, is a guy who he, he likes to push the ball down the field. He likes to throw into tight windows. He likes to take chances. He also, because he does those things, he turns the ball over more than most quarterbacks do. And because he likes to throw deep, longer passes and throw the ball into tight windows, he holds onto the ball longer than, than, mm -hmm. than most quarterbacks do, which lead to the sacks. Uh, and, and, and the tight windows and risky throws lead. And, and he's also not his accuracy is is uh, waxes and wanes too, mm -hmm. uh, so he's not the, the the most accurate passer in the league. So all those things lead to more turnover opportunities. Well, uh, Andy Dalton is <laughs> the, the exact Rocket. opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Red Rocket. Well, Rocket. he is not a risk. He is not a risk taker at quarterback. Uh, he's going to get the ball out quickly. Funny, he is going to. He's going to get the ball quickly. Uh, so he, he, he's not going to hold the ball on long. He's going to get the ball out quickly. He's quite happy to, to get the check down. So, uh, and the one thing about the red rocket, he's not a guy that's going to scare anybody, but, um, he's a guy that, whereas Alvin Kamara, very good running back. Uh, he always generally has very good games against the Vikings. We all remember his, what was this? His five Last TD year. or six TD yeah, yeah, in 2020. Uh, but so far in the games he's played this year, Winston has 
not involved him at all in the passing game. And this guy is one of the best pass catching wide uh, running backs in the league. He only has like five catches so far for 19 yards with Winston at his QB. This Kamara is a guy who's had, he caught 80 passes, at least 80 passes in his first four seasons in the NH in the NFL. So I believe that uh, with Thomas out, uh, Dalton is going to be as a guy that's actually going to get Kamara more involved with the with the screen passes in the passing game. He's going to be content to check down to him and going to let Kamara get get the ball into his hands and let him uh, make tacklers miss or you know scoot off those tackles that he's so good at uh, and drives you crazy because you think you got him tackled but you don't. Uh, so the Vikings defense has to be ready for. A very different offense the Saints are going to run with Andy Dalton at quarterback than with Jameis Winston at quarterback. And it actually might be a more effective offense with Andy Dalton running it than with Jameis Winston running it, which which we don't want, which is why I would prefer if Winston was actually playing tomorrow as opposed to Andy Dalton. And I think you had the, the same the same mm-hmm. views on that. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so, you know, Dalton starting, that's that's a big development in this game and might not be a positive development for Viking fans. Uh, defensively, the, the Saints, uh, Dennis Allen, he, he's turned the Saints into, like, as, as, since he's joined the Saints in, Saints in 2015 as a defensive coordinator, he's now the head coach, but he's made their defense that used to be, like, very bad uh, in a lot of cases he's turned it into a you know a, a consistently good unit they've got and they've got good players at all three levels you got Cameron Jordan Marcus Davenport on the defensive line Demario Davis is an excellent excellent linebacker and then you got uh, Lattimore at corner and they got Honey Badger Matthew at safety now Uh, so so that's strong players all at all levels the last two weeks they have not allowed each of their opponents which were the bucks and the panthers to get 300 total yards in offense Uh, now both of those teams offenses have really have really struggled uh so far this season but still uh they've they've held them down and so like this is a big test this is a big test for the vikings offense we got to have Kirk Cousins, we got to have the good Kirk Cousins tomorrow, not the jumpy Kirk Cousins who's looking to check <laughs> down at the at the moment notice. And we've got to, got to stay out of third and long situations because I was looking up the stats and I actually checked our, our first game too. David, in play situations where it's third and five or longer, the Vikings are three for 22 in really? those situations. Three wow. for 22. Uh, uh, which is like approximately 14% of the time they are converting those wow. down and distance situations. Cool. And uh, that's, uh, I, I imagine, I'm sure that all offenses in the NFL do not uh, fare very well in those down and distance situations, but 14% sounds particularly bad. <laughs> and, and so it, it, the Vikings cannot, if they're in those down and long down and distance situations consistently, I am not confident they're going to be able to overcome them. I think that's going to lead to a lot of, a lot of three and outs, empty drives and struggle. We're going to struggle to score points if we're constantly in third and five or longer. We can't be in those situations, particularly against a Saints defense, which is, uh, I think, you know, is, is, you know, pretty good. Um, So that's big, big, big problems there. If we're in third and long, uh, a vast majority of the time. Okay. Tomorrow. 
One last thing that wasn't on the notes, are you buying all this travel stuff? Saints went early to adjust. Vikings landed yesterday morning. Um, who do you think did it best? Well, intuitively, I think it would make more sense to me to go early and get acclimatized, but uh, their Terrell Williams said they don't want to get acclimatized. <laughs> like that, <laughs> they're looking, they're hoping that they're there such a short amount of time it doesn't impact them, and they and they won't get into the London time, which will help them while they're in London, but also help them on the way back for next week because they won't be trying to get adjusted to a new time zone once again. So that is the gambit he is playing. Yes, tomorrow we will. Uh, maybe maybe that won't have an impact at all, but if the Vikings lose, there's people are certainly going to point to them going over so late and saying, "You guys screwed up. You should have did what the Saints did and gone over there early and got your you know and, and got your bodies a little bit more adjusted to the time zone difference." Uh, but uh, I I think that it may you know I would want to go earlier as opposed to later, but uh, we'll see what the if it has any impact on the game and uh, we'll and maybe the Vikings players will let us know publicly whether what they thought of it too. Well, I think it's who slept and who didn't sleep. Um, mm. I've traveled east and west to Europe to even further than that to the desert, Afghanistan, dozens of times. Right, and I've flown backwards that way too. I can tell you from personal experience, flying east is easier than flying west. Going out there versus coming back home, it's um, when it comes to body clock type steel. What some of the players said, you know, like me, generally, as soon as the gear goes up, the eyes go closed, they go to sleep. Boom, they're out. Right, and then they're waking up when the steward is all right. Chairs in the upright position, lock. You know, tray tables up and locked. Buckle in. We're getting ready to land. That's the perfect flight. You sleep through the whole thing. It's wonderful, mm -hmm. right? And then they got there, and they talked about our sports science guys with the blue light therapy to keep them awake. I've also used chemicals like in the monsters. I've talked about it before, where you can set sort of set your body clock. But generally when you're going, you're good. You're better going. And that first day is, yeah, you get there and you're sort of off, but you, you make it through and you sleep. Second day is okay. It's generally this second or third day, especially the third day, that it whacks you on the jet lag. They should be, I think they're going to be fine. And believe it or not, Kirk Cousins is best in the morning. They're playing a morning game. That's his body clock. He's best in the morning. He's worse at night, i.e. prime time, you know, on Monday night. He plays better in the morning. He's a morning person. Morning people are going to appreciate that sort of morning deal. Even if it's we're just adjusting, they're going to be more refreshed in the morning. They're going to play better. I think that's going to help. And then because it is a business trip, um, or they're considering that, and they're considering it, you know, for the two games like Purple Hey said they're coming back to Chicago game we have next week. Um, to me, always flying west and flying home was harder to adjust to than it was flying the other direction. It took me longer. And it, they can generally say one hour per time zone is, equals one day uh, for adjustment mm -hmm. to body clocks. 
to get your circadian rhythms going. There's ways, sort of ways to cheat that, but it's still, it's, it's still a process. So if they don't adjust as much and they're fine on the short business trip, they'll do better going into next week into Chicago. They won't be as sluggish as New Orleans may be going into their next week game because I don't think either one of them has the bye. I think they pushed it off. Um, so it's going to be curious to see. I think they're making the right choice, but we'll find out Sunday, tomorrow morning. You know, the game starts at 8.30 Central, 7.30 your time, 6.30, you know, hippie time hippie on the West time. Coast. It's going to be a fun one. Absolutely fun one. Um, RB29. Indeed, Dante, a lot of great football to watch. Dalton and Hill, you trust, right? You got to trust somebody. So why not? Um, uh, Dante Jones, can't wait till two tomorrow. So much great football to watch. And that's a good thing about the London games. We get to watch the game in the morning, and then we still have a full slate after that if you love watching football all day. So it should be a good one. What is your prediction? Speaking of dogs, I'm hearing yours now. Uh, what's your prediction yes. on this game? Uh, I'm. Uh, I've been the. Uh, I've been uh, on the Vikings uh, Kool Aid all three games. Picked them to win, but tomorrow I've got a funny feeling about this one. I think that we're going to be down twenty three twenty. See where I'm, I? I gave my prediction earlier. I think we're going to win by ten points. I think it's going to be like a 30-20, a 31-21. I hope it's more than that. Um, But I think the Vikings are going to come out firing. I think Justin Jefferson and Keenan McCardell and, you know, the defensive backs and the other wide receivers, they're studying all week what the tells are and their their lessons of the week is tells, both on the DB side and on the wide receiver side. And they're working on it. The defensive backs working on finding tells and the wide receivers working on not showing tells. And I think they're going to have a very, very good game. So that's why I say the Vikings beat the Saints by 10 points. Even with the Red Rocket playing, there's only so much luck a ginger can have. And I think uh, it, his is expended. So we'll, we'll see. But it should be fun. Hey, I want to thank everybody that's joined us today. This was outstanding. Appreciate RB29 and the Oilers, NOLA, uh, Nola um, all the Saints fans that hopped on, all the Vikings fans that wanted to hear why Justin Jefferson, what's wrong with Justin Jefferson. We hope that we illustrated enough, gave you from the the person's word, Darius Slate, um, exactly why um, there's something wrong and how he can go about fixing it. It was a great show. We appreciate you watching. It means the world to us. As always, like, subscribe, and ring the bell if you can. It helps the algorithm uh, do its thing. If you're listening on the podcast, please rate us. It helps. It's uh, it's a great thing, and we love bringing you good football talk. This time, you know, particularly around the Vikings, but also around the league. And we thank you. Any last words there, Darren? No, sir. Happy that everybody could come. Oh. And Darren just 
dropped off. His, his computer probably died. Anyways, he's happy everybody could join us. It's been a long show. I do want to say uh, what we say normally. Vikings win. Vikings win. Go on tomorrow. Vikings win. And score Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.